Awesome. Oh, so thankful for these guys. Um, and I love how God brings together uh, just the, the church and the, the entire body, those that are called according to his purposes. And so love uh, doing life with you guys. As, as, um, as, as we transition here, uh, we, we've been in a series uh, on revival, and it's called Rhythm of Revival. And, and for us, in many ways as a church, it's getting back to the heart of who we are. There's been a cry for revival that has burned in us for, for years. It's made its way into our vision statement in, in different areas. Uh, but, but in this season, it, it, we've just sensed that God is saying, hey, come back to that place of believing for and positioning yourselves in every way for a, a reviving work, the reviving work of God, that we would truly be the people who are alive in him, that there is just life springing up from this place and springing up from within us. I, I think there's a, a jealousy that, that we carry as, as the church to, uh, to see what Jesus came to give actually be experienced by the believer. Now, there's different things that Jesus came to give us, and, and in the New Testament, we read about different statements, but, but one of those is that Jesus came to give us life and life to the full. And I think that there are a lot of Christians, a lot of people that are regularly attending church and what have you, that are not experiencing fullness of life in Jesus. And so we are just jealous for that, for the body. Because when the body is experiencing life in God, it begins to cause spiritual awakening in the cities and communities and, and states, nations around. And, you know, it, it's, it's infectious. And so there is life that he wants to pour out on us. And, and so we've been, we've been talking about uh, the, the positioning of ourselves for revival by looking at the, 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 many of the revivals of the Bible. Times in the scripture where God has shown up in, in, the, in the desperate cries of his people and, and come and they, they, it's, it's, it's changed everything. And there has been great worship and a great love for God that has, that has come as a result. And so we're going to be looking at another one of those revivals today. And in all of these revivals that we've been studying, there's a lot of overlapping elements. A lot of the elements of revival are not particular to just one revival, but that's why we, we, we study them and look at them, because though there's not a specific recipe that if you do X, Y, Z, then this will happen, there is a place of positioning. And saying, God, we want to come to you with some of the things that we've talked about and will talk about. Uh, it, we want to come to you with humility. We want to come to you in confession and repentance. We want to come to you in prayer. We, we want to come to you with obedience. And some of these things that we've been talking about are, are ways that we position ourselves for God to move, to show up, and to have his way among us. So that's the, that's the desire of our heart. Now, this week, I think we're, we're speaking of an, an element of revival that is unique in the way that it weaves its way in and through all of the, the other subjects of revival that I just mentioned, uh, prayer, repentance, obedience, and, and it's connected to all of those and in many ways weaves them all together, and that is hunger for God. It, it's hunger for God. And, and when I, I think about hunger for God... There, there is something that, that just that, that rises up in me that, that's, that says, Lord, that's got to be true of us. Th that has to be true uh, of us as a people, that we are a people that are, that are hungering 
for the person of God, for the presence of God, for the glory of God to be revealed, that, that we are not going through the motions, that we're not doing a dance, that it's not, this church not, has not become a social club, or you know, any of those things, uh, or, or even just like a justice organization, n- none of those things, but a, a lot of those components are happening, but who we are is a people that are hungry for God at the core, that, 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 um, that we, you know, in, in, in the mornings, we, we wake up and we're, we're, we're wanting to be near him. Uh, through the day, we're wanting to, to, to understand and come alive to, to his love and his presence. And we're, we're going to bed at night with the peace of God because we know that he is with us and that his grace has been extended toward us. And so there's just a, a, that we become a people who are just hungry for, for him. And I want to share two, two quick little things that just came to me in worship. So this is just a little bit of a bonus, I guess, or something. But I, I you know, I, I think we've been in this season of just focusing in on revival. I think this is the sixth week now. And there, there can be uh, like a, a little bit of a weariness to it. We're talking about being alive in God, but then it's like, oh man, I, you know, every week it's like, hey, we gotta, we gotta repent and we gotta confess our sin. We gotta tear down any idols. We've gotta fall on our face in humility. And man, we've gotta obey just all these things we're pressing in, all good things. But it's like, okay, what's, what's this week? Like, I'm a little tired, you know, of just like pressing in uh, to, to make these things applicable in my life. Because the, the, the plan here is not just to learn some new things about the revivals of the Bible, but is to actually implement things that the people of God of the past have learned and say, we, we want to experience God in, in that way as well. And so there can be a little bit of a, of a weariness to it as, as we press on to know the Lord. And this morning I was encouraged by a couple of things, though, though there's a, uh, many things that could, uh, could, could fit into this. But, Lord, how, how can we be encouraged just to press on? And, and they're very simple. One is just the Word of God. It, it, it is the Bible, which is the truth, which is the, the foundation for our, our lives and the way we live, the decisions we make, the hard attitudes we carry. And it is, it is the revelation of the nature of God. And so in any places of, of weariness or, or, or uh, you know, wondering what does it look like for me to continue forward, we have the, the word of God, which, is, which sustains us, which reveals to us his nature, and it is the revelation of his nature that continues to, to motivate us with, with a hunger. Okay, so the more that we see him, the, the more hungry we will be for him, okay? Because here's the, a unique thing about, about God. It's that um, in every way, God satisfies. He, he completely in every way satisfies the, the human condition, the human heart, the human experience, right? He, he, all of the things that we're looking for to find fulfillment or satisfaction, it's all found in him, and so we are fully satisfied in him, and yet at the same time, we're talking about an insatiable hunger for God. And so it's like this paradox where he fully satisfies, and yet at the same time, when we as a people see and, and taste that he is good, and we're fully satisfied in his goodness, there, there's an inclination that we have that there's more. There's more of him. 
that we've only scratched the surface of recognizing who he is and the goodness of his nature and, and the, the, the unending amount of his, his benefits and blessing and grace that he pours out on his people. And so there's like this full satisfaction uh, coupled with an insatiable hunger. And it's a beautiful paradox that we want to live in. We are, we, are, we are satisfied because he is good and he is a father. There is no other place that we are looking for, for, for comfort or, or for purpose uh, or for, for value. And yet at the same time, because he gives us purpose and comfort and value and peace and on and on and on, we just want more of his presence. We want to know more of who he is. We want to know more of his ways. The other thing besides the word of God is just the people of God that we need one another, that we were not meant to, to make it alone. And, and I don't just mean the casual passing of different people on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about a depth of community that's found in, uh, in life groups or in other places where there's a depth of, of um, the knowing of one another that comes into play, where when you are down, when you are feeling weary, that there absolutely are people in your life that can speak into it, that can call you forward, or that can call you out, or that can do, you know, that can speak into your life uh, to, you know, again, the biblical admonishment is don't give up meeting together, but continue to encourage one another as long as it's called today. You know, like, let's just keep moving forward in community. So there's something beautiful about those aspects that we've got to hold uh, and, and both the word of God that is the, a foundation for us and, and the people of God that, that really hold us together and hold us, uh, hold us accountable. And so, um, so today we're going to look at hungering for God in the book of Nehemiah. As I mentioned, we've been looking at different biblical revivals, and uh, the revival that we find in Nehemiah is, is one of the, the, the longest ones in terms of the amount of text that is committed to, to talking about what God was doing and the outcome of the revival there, because the people of God, to give a little bit of, of context, are, um, have uh, been dispersed. They've been conquered as a people by, uh, by foreign nations, and they've been dispersed uh, as a people living in exile. Now, at ne in Nehemiah's day, uh, some of those that were in exile are beginning to return. There is a, there is a remnant, and yet they, they, are, they are weak, they are vulnerable, they, they are fearful, um, and, and this is, this, is, this, this is the state of Israel uh, here as, as we begin looking in the, in the book of Nehemiah. And so, um, so, so we want to begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 1. And I want to uh, begin reading in, in verse 1. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture today um, as we move through the book of Nehemiah and try to synthesize all that God was doing and how he wants to teach us to walk as, as, as Nehemiah did. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem, the city. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So, as we dive into different passages here in the book of Nehemiah, remember what we're going to be seeing. We're going to be seeing some of the same elef- uh, uh, elements that we, uh, that we see here, a prayer, uh, repentance, uh, humility. But I want us to look at them from the angle of, of the hunger for God. Okay, now there is an elephant in the room because I almost said elephant instead of element. Okay, so there I said it. Um, <laughs> so so uh, the elements of revival uh, from, the angle of, there's, uh, from the angle of hunger for God. Because I really do think it is this, this thing of hunger for God that motivates us and fuels us uh, towards repentance when we're weary, that, that, is the, that it, um, it fuels and motivates us to pray and intercede, even when that means we got to get up early in the morning to do it. You know, it's, it's this hunger for the person of God, the presence of God, and, and the glory of God to come, okay? And so it's this, this hunger for God that, um, that really, the, that, that is the enemy of of Satan. It is hunger for God because, because the, the enemy, Satan, wants nothing more than for us to get our appetites filled by the things of this world. Okay, so we're talking about appetites. We all have natural appetites, right? And, and, and the hunger for God, we understand that concept because we've all been, been hungry to, to a certain degree. Now, none of us at the degree of, of desperation that some in the world face today, but we, we've all had experience with hunger where we get hungry and that's all we can think about. And we just like, what, what, when's the next meal coming? Or sometimes I'm even like, hey, what? Can you just tell me what we're having, and so that I can at least, I go, I should be looking forward to it. Like I just, so I can be thinking about, oh, I'm excited about that, I'm eating that, or whatever. And uh, and sometimes we can uh, overindulge. Sometimes our, our we can get a, a distortion in how we relate to, to to food, and because of our our appetite and our and our hunger. Um, and it's not just adults; kids are the same way. Probably the the most often used word in our in our house is snack. It, it really may be like, cause that question, but from, you know, we got six kids in our house. We get the question about, can I have a snack multiple times every day? And road trips are the worst because, you know, it's like you just literally just had three snacks and you're asking for another one. And it's like, you know, you're not gonna have a snack right now. And in the kid's mind, sometimes I think that's like, not now. Okay, so, but 30 seconds from now, is, and can I have applesauce? That's a little more healthy note. Not applesauce, still some sugar in there. And usually it comes down to, can I have an orange? Fine, you can have an orange, like just to, to settle it. But it's like, because they can't get it off their minds. It's, they're, they're, they're hungry, and they want to satisfy what th- their hunger. And, and so we, we recognize, too, that that, that that word or that that concept 
is not just a, a, a physical appetite for food, but that there are appetites for things in this world. That we, we, have, an, we have an appetite uh, for, for comfort, for peace, for, for power, for possessions, for meaning, you know, on and on and on. And, and there are ways in which this world will fill those appetites. When all the while those appetites were meant to be filled by God. And, and, and there, there's a danger here for us. In fact, it, it is those things that, that, uh, that fill those appetites that, that are one of the biggest enemies to, to the life of the believer. I found a, a quote that I wanted to read for us real quick by, by John Piper, for, former pastor, author of countless books, uh, a man who truly has a heart for the Lord. And, uh, and he, he, wrote a, he wrote a book called Hunger for God. It's about fasting. Uh, but in that, he, he says this. If we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, so for the glory of God to be revealed, for us to experience it, if we don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because we have drunk so deeply of his glory and are satisfied but rather it is because we have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. And so today, the question we're asking ourselves is, what is our hunger level for the things of God, for the person and for the presence and for the glory of our God? What, what is the hunger level? And are there ways that, that our appetite for him have been dulled because of how we've become satisfied in some of the things of the world? There is an appetite for God that must be awakened in us. And we see that in Nehemiah, even in some of the language. When he gets the news of, of what God's doing, he immediately uh, falls on his face. And, and we're told that, uh, that he begins to, for, it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Here in Nehemiah, we have a man who has seen God, who knows God, walks with God, and now is seeing an injustice uh, amongst the people of God. And in the Old Testament, there was, also, there was always some type of equating between uh, the welfare of the people of God and the glory of God. Even in places where we see Moses uh, like talking with God about, you know, God, you can't destroy your people or else, you know, Egypt will say, well, who is this God that destroys these people? There's some kind of connection between the people of God and the way that God receives his glory on the earth. And, uh, and so there's this, this heart of Nehemiah that begins to mourn and fast and pray. Okay, can I just say in, in the beginning, to do that for days, there's some kind of hunger. Okay, uh, to, to, to fast from food, even, even in that very action, what you're saying is, God, I want to hunger for you more than I hunger for food. And every time I feel that hunger pang rising up, I just want to call out and say, God, I need you. I want to desire you, like I, you know, and it's just bringing it to mind all the time. And so he is, he is saying, I, I, he's pressing in for days, mourning, weeping, fasting. It says when he finds out, he falls down to the ground and weeps and calls out to the God of heaven. And so he, he's pressing in for some time. 
into, into this. There's, there's a cry uh, that is going out that is obviously a cry of, of hunger. God, we need you. God, won't you come? God, won't you show up? God, won't you do something? And it is this hunger that fuels the, the cry coming out of Nehemiah's heart, and he begins to call on the character of God. He says, you are the great and awesome God of heaven. He, he begins to call upon the promises of God. You said, Lord, if we turn to you and obey your commands, that even though we may be exiled in the farthest horizon, that you will gather us and bring us to the place that you've chosen as a dwelling for your name. And so he's calling on the promises of God and the person of God. I I hope what you sense is there's a hunger. There's something fueling him. It's a desire for God to reveal his glory, to make himself known, and to move. And so there's this hunger for God, but it doesn't stop there and, and any as we go through these different elements, we can stop at any time. And I, I think at times re- revival can stop because we we stop with the cry like yes God, but then we don't see it or we get weary and then all of a sudden the the, the cry of our heart and the, the hunger for God to do something that way it just begins to kind of fade over time, not purposefully, but it just fades over time without some of the next steps. The next step is one of boldness. There was actually a bold action that was taken. In Nehemiah chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 5. This coming out of this this cry in Nehemiah's heart. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lied in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah is presented with an opportunity to take a step of boldness, where, where it goes from just a cry in his heart that, that he's lifting up to the, the Lord in, uh, the, in, in, uh, in his own bedroom or, you know, as he's going out his own life, but now before the king. And we know it was a step of boldness because what does he say there in verse 3? I was very much afraid. Okay, he, he was afraid to say what he needed to say. It was, it was not a, a normal thing that he would say. He is asking a king of another nation if he can go and restore the, the buildings uh, of, of a different nation, right? The walls in the city of a different nation. And so uh, not, not only that, but he was, he was not supposed to look down, look sad in the king's presence. He was to enter it with, with joy. He was to be, and, and, and the king notices, hey, there's something different going on. And uh, the king asked him about it. And Nehemiah takes the bold step of saying, there's, there is something wrong. There is something wrong. The, the, the city of my ancestors is destroyed by fire. If, it, if, I find, if I found favor in you, I would like to return to restore it. Again, there is something fueling this because th- this, this was a couple of things. First of all, it was a little dangerous. He, he was fearful for good reason. There are many ways that the king could have responded negatively. Secondly, 
Nehemiah, unlike most of the exiles, had found a place of, of, of favor in, in, a, in a different kingdom. And he had, ri- uh, he had risen on the ranks uh, and now was, was an official, not just a, a server, one who would t- but, a, but a trusted official in the king's courts. Uh, and, and so he has every reason to, to not jeopardize that. Right? So again, boldness. Because he is jeopardizing everything that he's spent years building. And there's all kinds of excuses that he could give in his mind. Like, well, you know, someone else can go do that. God has positioned me here. I should stay here. I can have much more effect. Uh, you know, I can, I can help to resource things that need to happen or whatever else. But in the end, God was asking him to make the bold, the bold move of, of bringing this before the king and ultimately going. And so the king receives the request and grants it with favor. Nehemiah pushes it even a little forward and says, hey, can you grant me letters for safe passage? Can you grant me letters so that I can get the resources that are needed to to, to build the wall? And he finds favor miraculously in the king's eyes, and he sends him on. And so we have not only the cry, crying out of the heart uh, to God, but then we have a step of boldness. And next, we have obedience. Nehemiah 2, verses 17 and 18, Nehemiah has now arrived in Jerusalem, and he's gathered the people together, and this is what he says to them. Nehemiah 2, verse 17, I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. So not only did we have the cry that that rose up in Nehemiah's heart and the bold step, uh, but now we have the follow through. The obedience, uh, much of which we talked about last week at at World Mandate. You know, one of the things that we did on on last Sunday at the the end of the conference was we had a couple of offering baskets up here, but it wasn't for your traditional monetary offering. It was literally to write down on a card and say, God, here's how I'm giving you my life. Here's how I want to follow you. This is how I want to love you. This is how I want to pursue you. And I'm, I'm putting this in the offering basket. This is my offering to you. And that's beautiful. And that they're, they're on those pieces of paper was, uh, was beautiful sentiment and the cries of our heart of, of who we want to be and how we want to follow God. And it comes after that, that we begin taking a, a, not only a bold steps, but living lives of obedience. Not leaving it in a, in a, a basket uh, on a stage that, you know, gets filed away in some box, but, but actually now having a life uh, fueled by hunger for God that says it can't stop here because for, for many people it stops there. Stops with a cry, maybe even stops with a, a bold step of obedience. You're making a statement, and then, but then like the, the actual obedience of carrying it out uh, doesn't actually come to fruition because we, we lose just that, that hunger and that zeal for the, the person, presence, and the glory of God uh, in, in a day-to-day way. But with Nehemiah, he actually left. He went. He followed through. And, and then we, we find something that will be true of anyone that decides to walk with a hunger of God, hunger for God in obedience towards God, and that is spiritual warfare. There, there will always be pushback from the enemy. 
because you've moved out of places of complacency. You, you've, you've quit consuming the things of this world which have dulled your appetite towards the things of God and now you're alive to the things of God and hungering for the things of God and that is not where the enemy wants you to be and so there will be pushback. Uh, in Nehemiah 2.19, we read this. But when Sanballat the Horonite Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it, the rebuilding of this wall, they mocked us and ridiculed us. What is this that you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? And this statement here in in verse 19 was was only the beginning of what these guys brought. So so they were these these voices that were um, getting, these kind of voices that get in your head to begin to make you question if what you're doing uh, is, is just crazy, is, is foolish. And, and, and these guys not only sit around mocking them uh, and, and taunting them, but they begin writing letters, letters that, that are bringing accusation, letters that are trying to trap them. They begin to build an army, and they, come, uh, they, they assemble around to come against them, and God has to deliver uh, the, the people of, of Jerusalem. And there, there's this all-out attack it's all-out attack against uh, the, the plans and purposes of God. There's this all-out attack uh, specifically on, on Nehemiah as the one who said, I, we're, we're going to, this is the word of the Lord, and this is what we're going to live out. The one that's given the testimony. Man, testimonies are so crucial. Did you, did you notice that there in 17 and 18, one of the things that, that happened right before the people replied, let us start building, was the testimony of how the king responded to Nehemiah, because it was supernatural. It was a testimony. God moved in that man's heart to, to resource the building of Jerusalem, which was not his territory, which was not a city that he ruled over. And so there was the supernatural moving of God, a testimony that buoyed the faith, and then the faith was tested. The faith was tested by this assault of the enemy. It was a physical assault. It was a verbal assault. It was an emotional assault. Uh, there were people that some of these men, Sanballat and some of these guys knew, uh, on the inside of Jerusalem uh, that had, had resourced them, that had helped them. And so now they're calling on them to, to kind of uh, come against Nehemiah. I mean, it's a mess. And, and, and yet, it's in that place, again, that there is a hunger for the person, for the presence, and for the glory of God. Is to press through it. In fact, it is in that place that maybe we begin to find uh, more than ever the character and nature of our God. It's one thing to cry out in our bedroom and say, God, you've got to move. God, you've got to come. But then it's a whole different prayer when we're saying, God, I need you because they're about to overwhelm us. They could destroy us. God, we are still vulnerable and God, even some of the own, my, my own people, are they going to turn on me? And I'm fearful of that. God, you've got to show up. God, you've got to come. You've got to continue to make a way. And so there's this just nearness to God as you call out to him in that place, in the midst of spiritual warfare, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the circumstances of life. This is the, this is the, this is the road and it's not, not, a, not a road that's like some type of formula, but these are the things that we experience in the Christian life when we desire to, to walk with God, when we desire to run wholeheartedly after Him. 
As I mentioned, last weekend was World Mandate, and I love just having a time set aside for our, our church community to just for an entire weekend to say, God, what are you speaking? How can we uh, lean into you and to hear and to, to just position ourselves and come into alignment with what you're doing? And uh, I love hearing the, the different testimonies of what God was doing in different individuals throughout the church. Um, one, one story that, that I heard, I think, rightly reflects some of what we're talking about today. On the, the Saturday night uh, session, uh, that Saturday evening, there was a woman in our church who was just feeling this, the stirring of God and, uh, and love for God, kind of a cry for, for crying out to God for his heart and, and then felt a place of conviction uh, about, uh, around share, the sharing of the gospel. And there were two uh, particular opportunities that God brought to mind uh, where she had had an opportunity to kind of to, to step forth uh, uh, about her faith in Christ and felt herself kind of deciding not to in, in that moment and for that moment just saying, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that would look like. Um, and, and particularly because of the, the, the field that she, she finds herself in as a psychologist, uh, bringing faith bringing the person of Jesus into those conversations is, is highly looked down upon, uh, as it is in, in many fields, in many areas. And so it was with that concern and how it be received and how actually even prior to that, having had conversations with people uh, uh, being very negative towards that, there was a, a, that, that kind of angst that any of us might feel, Right? So God is bringing those things up graciously, not in a place of guilt or condemnation, but just in a place of conviction, which translates for her to be like, God, I want to live for you. I don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. I, I don't want to ever, uh, I don't ever want to, to, to step back. God, I always want to, when you're moving, I want to speak up and I want to speak into it. And God is just kind of like, God, that's what I want. God, I want to commit to that. God, would you strengthen me? God, would you do it? Well, Monday, well, God, God shares a little something with her about what she needs to do. And so Monday morning rolls around, and uh, God has her write an email to, to the entire listserv of a psychologist in Arizona, introducing herself, uh, telling them that she is a, a, a Christian and that she loves Jesus and wants to follow him and wants to start a prayer group among psychologists in the state that would believe for, for healing um, for, for patients that are, that are suffering. And, and so it's kind of forever now wiping out any, any fear of stepping into a situation and saying, I love, I, you know, this is what I believe, because now everybody knows. That is what? That is not only a cry of the heart. God, I want to I live for you. God, I want to speak the name of Jesus. God, I, I want to be bold. It's now what? The bold step. It is the, the bold step of saying, I'm not going to let hunger for God die at some conference. End there. Okay? I, I'm going I'm to continue to be hungry for God. And then, uh, and then they, 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 she said, we're going we're to start, anybody that's interested, we're going to pray together. Well, people start responding. And, 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 and each one of them are saying, I didn't even know there was other Christians in this field. It's been, it's been like the enemy is almost, it's almost was like when I heard it was like the enemy's had a hush hush on this. Like you are the only one, right? Like an, an Elijah kind of thing. Like you're the only one out there do, doing these things. And all of a sudden somebody, uh, God leads somebody to say, hey, this is, this is it. This is it. And in the end, there were 
There's now 19 that have responded that said, and most of whom said, I thought I was the only one. And tonight is their first time to gather together and pray. Okay, so now there's like this, amen, right? There, there is like this, this o- obedience to now we're going to live this out. And you know what that, that obedience does? Is it again, doesn't let the hunger for God stop. You know, it's like, okay, now we're going to live this out and, 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 uh, and, and we're going to be regularly meeting and praying together for God to move in this field, which this, that, that field needs, right? There, there is a, an epidemic of, of, of mental health uh, disorders and, and struggles. And so we, we need that. How good is it to have a group of psychologists that are, that are leading in this field saying, we got to get together. We need God to come. And so there's obedience that's going to continue to fuel hunger for God to come. And, 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 and even though there might be pushback to come uh, for this group of people, uh, that, that, that they are now in, in it together, and that even the pushback will fuel hunger for God. Because in the end, God shows up. God always shows up. And he always moves and he responds to the cries of his people. And we don't always have timetables. Sometimes we don't have eyes to see even what he's doing. That's why at times it's good to keep a prayer journal. I'm like, wow, I prayed that. Now this happened. I didn't even connect the two, right? Those kind of things. And, and, and yet God is, he always shows up. In Nehemiah 6 verses 15 and 16, it says this. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. In 52 days, in, incredibly a short period of time for, for the, in, an entire wall of a city to be built. Everybody in unison with great unity did their part, played their role, and it was an incredible feat. So much so that verse 16 says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God, that in the end it was God, that he showed up and that he strengthened them. And so there's even something in, in the victory that again, just it almost starts the cycle over again. Yes, there's victory in God. He is real and he is powerful and I'm convinced all over again to give my life for him. And so it, is, it, re, it restarts that, that, that hunger for God. And, and what, what, it, what it also does is it creates a, a, con, a contagious hunger in all those around you. Nehemiah 8, all the people stood up. They just said, we're standing up in the presence of the reading of God's word. And it says that Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, amen, amen. And then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So here was a disgraced, fearful people that are now experiencing life in God. This is the revival of Nehemiah. They're worshiping him, bowing down, standing before the word of the Lord, um, and responding wholeheartedly. It says, then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they were listening to the, the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So there is the, the, the eruption of praise and of worship. There is the eruption of life in the people of God because God showed up, because 
there was one who said, I'm going to hunger for God. I'm going to press into the things of God. I'm going to cry out to him. I'm going to take bold steps. I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to, I'm going to push through the adversity because I have a, a, a hunger for his person and his presence and his glory. And in the end, it becomes contagious. And there is a revival among God's people. I want to finish by just kind of bringing it into to, to home for us, uh, reading a New Testament passage out of Galatians chapter 6. Not only in Galatians, but there's places in Romans that, that talk about this idea of sowing into the spirit versus sowing into the flesh. That we have opportunities every day to kind of give ourselves to the things of God and commit ourselves to hunger after the things of God or, or to, to, to run after the things of this world, of the flesh, the things that we can kind of taste and see and feel and touch and, and, and wanting to gratify ourselves with those things. And, um, and the Bible makes it very clear that sowing into the spirit leads to life and sowing into the flesh leads to death. It's not the thing that we're looking for, the thing that it promised. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says that in this way. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Can I just say that's a very serious way to, to start out a, a passage of scripture, right? Like that's the, do not be deceived, church. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal Life. So it's a truth that, that we can agree with, like, yes, there is life in the Spirit. And when we pursue uh, the, the sinful pleasures of this world, that it's death in the end. And we, we can agree to that, but there, there's something of a middle ground that we've made. We, we, we've tricked ourselves into thinking that there is a middle ground, that, that we can somehow make excuses and put off sowing into the spirit and yet at the same time deny the flesh, where we can kind of put off and make excuses for fully sowing into the spirit and at the same time deny the flesh, but the Bible says that you're either going to sow to the spirit or you're going to sow to the flesh. You're always sowing into something. Every action Every conversation, every heart attitude, every motive, every thought, it, it's sowing into something. It's sowing either into the spirit or in, into the flesh. And oftentimes it's, it's sowing into like to ourselves and, and, and what we want. And, and while there may not be these, these glaring atrocities in, in our lives, there is the, the small amounts of sowing that slowly reveal what we really love, what we're really hungry for. And it is that slow dulling of our appetite for God that becomes the real enemy in the life of the believer. One of the passages of scripture that we've been talking about um, different times throughout this year has been Luke 14 in the parable of the great banqueting feast where God has prepared a, a banqueting table and there's people that aren't coming and, and, and you, you get a, this revelation of the heart of God that's saying, well, go back out and invite more because there's still room at the table. And he's just inviting people in. And I want everybody to hear this this morning, especially if there's some in this room that don't have a relationship with God. 
And as I've been talking about this life in God, and it's something you've never experienced, know this, that his arms are open wide, and he is the host of a great banquet, and he's inviting you to come and to experience life in him and relationship with him. And something he's inviting you into today. But there were people that were being invited in this banquet, and they were making excuses. And it is the excuses that I would just want to look at for, for one moment. In verse 18, there's one that says, I can't come. I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. The second one was, uh, the excuse was, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And what's interesting about this parable is that the excuses that are given are not some of great evil that the enemy has led you into and destroyed your life and so you can't come. It's actually much more subtle than that. So subtle that it's the type of things that we, that we kind of say like, well, well, God's given me this land to steward, so I do need to go and take care of it. I've got these oxen. It's a part of my business. I've got to attend to it. I've got to provide for my family. Marriage, marriage is from God. Yes and amen. And so I, but I, but I can't come. I've got to, you know, I'm married and we've got these plans or we've got to do these things. And it's these subtleties. And it's certain words that we use, ideas and phrases to steward or to take a careful watch of the responsibilities that God has given us that are right in and of themselves until they begin to steal from hunger for God. Until sometimes they become an excuse for, for coming to the great banquet table of the Lord. And this is not just a parable. There is a banqueting table that he has set before you today. Tomorrow when you rise, the Lord will have already been up before you and have prepared this table filled with the most incredible uh, fare, the, the most in incredible food that will satisfy, that this water that will leave you never thirsting again and it's prepared before you. And yet we wake up and we get busy with our day and there's things that we have to attend to and we make excuses. And his invitation rings out again to us today. Won't you come to the table? I've prepared it for you. Won't you hunger for the things of the spirit? So into the spirit. Not make excuses anymore. Not allow the reviving work of God to be cut off at any phase, but to continue and only increase in hunger for God. He is worth whatever we must do to have him, and he's worth whatever we must not do to have him. That everything would be arranged and, and reordered to be in alignment with knowing him and having a hunger for his person, his presence, and his glory. So God, won't you do that in us, we pray. I pray that you would create for us just right now this holy moment in our hearts where there is a fresh jealousy and desire for your glory, where there is a hunger to know you. And that, that any other thing that we've allowed 
to dull our appetite for you, that it would be removed in Jesus' name. That no longer would we hunger for the things of this world, but that we would hunger for you, God. We hunger for you, Jesus. I want to invite you to just stand with me. And as we have been doing throughout this series, we're just going to open up the front to you to come and get on your knees before God. There may be a place where you're coming up just to get on your knees in a place of, of repentance. Say, God, I have, I have satisfied myself with too many things in this world, and I want to get rid of those things that I might hunger for you. You might just need to come and get on your knees as an expression of just saying, God, won't you fill me? I'm hungry. Won't you satisfy me, God? You are the only one who can. Just this cry. Let there be a cry that, that rises up in this place. And let there be things that God speaks of boldness and obedience moving forth from here. We're just coming and getting on our knees before him and letting that cry go up. If you need prayer for anything today, our, our ministry team is going to be up on, on, some, on the side walls. If you need prayer, you can go and pray with them. If, if, as I was saying earlier, you're interested in having a relationship with God, his arms are open wide today. And we would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. But let's not leave this place today without responding to God with our whole hearts.